Thank you for listening to Ivy Podcast, where we feature weekly leadership conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Now, here is your host, Fred Obiero. Hello, and welcome to the Ivy Podcast. My guest today is Mike Clayton, founder of OnlinePMCourses.com, where he provides a wealth of free project management knowledge, resources, and paid courses. Hey, Mike, good to have you on. Glad to be here. I've been really looking forward to this, Fred. Likewise. Uh, before we start this episode, I have one small request to our listeners. As we continue to grow the Ivy Podcast, we would appreciate if you would take just a minute of your time to leave us a review on the show because reviews make a huge difference to podcast channels like ours. Now, time for the episode with Mike. So Mike, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, tell us about yourself, your background, and the website onlinepmcourses.com. Glad to. Um, So you told the audience that onlinepmcourses.com, that's my main website. I started off as a project and program manager with the London office of Deloitte. And in 2002, I left and set up a training business. So I've been a trainer for a large part of my career, primarily training project managers in the UK. Uh, On top of that, I've kind of grown my range of activities. And I suppose now if we cut past all of the speaking engagements and the books that I've written, uh, I'm focusing a lot of my time when I'm not with clients online uh, these days, of course, um, with YouTube. So I have the Online PM Courses YouTube channel, which is growing very fast, uh, two videos per week on project management. And the new channel is Management Courses, which covers every other aspect of management, leadership and personal professional effectiveness, uh, giving away uh, what would otherwise be paid courses on YouTube. That's wonderful. Talk to me about the the new website that you have, Management Courses. Is that geared more towards leaders or is it just for project managers or just a general business kind of website? Management Courses is actually aimed at younger professionals who are aiming to get into management tiers or have just got into management tiers, particularly in places either because it's a small company and there's no training budget or it's a country where there isn't a big training budget for any companies, uh, for any uh, yeah companies, so it uh, gives new managers and aspiring managers a chance to learn about management. Mm-hmm. Plus, of course, if you're an experienced manager and you just want to look up something that you're not familiar with, I'll be building a huge amount of content for people to learn from. That's generous of you to provide that kind of content for free. Uh, it's something that I think the world needs, um, especially given the year that we've had last year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of business people have slightly refocused if they've got the, the time and the capacity. You know, unfortunately, I've been in business for a long time. I can invest a chunk of my time, not altruistically necessarily, but for very low returns because it's how I give back to the community because my mentors got me to where I am. And uh-huh. I feel it's, it's part, of, part of what our responsibility is as professionals. Great. So what are some of the project management trends that you foresee on the horizon and how can project managers prepare themselves to capitalize on such trends? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I I picked up three big trends and the first one that I pick out, I I identified it a couple of years ago um, and built a training course all around project benefits management. Uh, 
For many, many years, benefits management has been seen as part of the domain of program management, big programs of work in big corporations. But I think we're well well overdue for paying attention to delivering benefits on every project and to put benefits delivery first. And the reason I think it's time has come, and I was was right in, in predicting this, is that for those of us who are aware of the Project Management Institute, the PMI, Um, They've just brought out the seventh edition of their project management body of knowledge, and that has included value delivery for the first time. And, you know, benefits lead to value. Uh, It's one one piece. So I think for me, that's the first one. And learning about that is the important thing. Actually going out and getting self training. My course is one, but there are, I'm sure, going to be others uh, coming onto the market. The second thing I think is, the next stage in professionalizing the project management profession. You know, we, we have the PMI globally, we have the Association of Project Management primarily in British and British influenced countries. We've got the IAPM, the IPMA, lots of professional associations for project managers. But the project management profession is now wider than that. And I'm seeing a lot of interesting stuff being done around formalizing the knowledge of how to set up PMOs and the knowledge around what the competencies are for PMO professionals. And I think we're going to start to see project and program and portfolio delivery rise up the agenda of the top ta- at the top table of companies and the professionals to rise to those levels. So that kind of professionalization, that level of, um, uh, of, engagement of the business and the portfolios with one another and then the third thing i think which complements both of these is we are seeing a kind of golden time the arrival of new methodologies in project management we've had a welter of agile project management methodologies coming through in the last few years but now we're starting to see some genuinely hybrid methodologies which are filling a gap because everyone knows that we need to be focused on finding the right balance of agility and predictability in our projects that needs to be contextual but where are the methodologies and i've been in touch with two very inspirational uh, methodologies and their creators um, flex and alio costa uh, doing some fantastic stuff at kind of organizational level but very 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 clever um, hierarchical structures and then uh, Frank Turley and Nada Rad, Nada, one of the authors of the Pinbox 7, incidentally, developing P3 Express, a very lightweight project management methodology designed to enable any organization to pick it up and run with it and create small to medium sized projects very efficiently. So I think we're in a really exciting time for the profession. That's good. I want to go back to something you said, your first point, <clears throat> which had to do with delivering value. It's yeah. funny because uh, my co-author and I, John Kersibayev, uh, we, when we wrote the book, The PM Imperative, that's one of the things that we chose to emphasize, delivering yeah. value, because that's something that has not been put in the forefront uh, for project management in the past, but it's becoming more and more of a common trend. And I find that, uh, that it's a rare coincidence that you also wrote about that a few years ago. But clearly it shows that, you know, you and I, we, we had never spoken about this, but we <laughs> wrote about that independently. And I think that's something that a lot of project managers need to be aware of when they're writing out business plans for, for their projects. 
Yeah. And there's a there's a, a famous quote in the world of mathematics that says that there is a time for everything. And if you if you have a new idea, you need to get it into the public domain quickly because these ideas are around. And, and it is not surprising to me that that you and your and, 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 and Jan came up with the idea around the same sort of time as I did within a whatever. Um, right. And I'm sure others have, too. I, I'm not claiming any originality. But that's why I think it is part of the trend. Uh, if, if it was just me, then it, we, I'd be trying to make up a trend and, and get one going. But I think we're we're both on to something. And I, I'd be interested to read your book and uh, and see how you place where you place the emphasis and how you address the issues. Absolutely. All right. Switching gears. Virtual yeah. project teams have increasingly <laughs> become commonplace in today's society following the lockdown measures implemented worldwide due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Are there any drawbacks to project teams relying on fully remote workers, especially those that had never practiced any remote work previously? Yeah. I mean, I think the drawback is biology. You know, human beings evolved to live and work together in small groups mm-hmm. in a very close space. And Throughout history, that space and the size of the groups has been growing. You know, we've seen the emergence of cities and, you know, all that is. But this is something new and it's happening very fast. And we know that there are stresses involved with being part, you know, living in cities and living in large communities. So I think we are, it's too early to say exactly what the stresses will be for people trying to create a career online, uh, which I'm sure will be happening during our lifetimes. We'll see people who never go to an office and right. and yet they are part of an organization there, there have always been people who don't go to offices uh, that's that's yes. but so i think there is a biological trap and i uh, i mentioned management courses and one of those courses that uh that is actually rolling out at the moment you know one episode a week is on teams and the section that's currently rolling out as we're speaking is the section on virtual teams and uh i articulate eight challenges that virtual teams have and there's an episode on how you know my solutions and my ideas for those both but i think you know you ask what the potential drawbacks are and, and the best i can give you uh, in a short time is just to list those eight challenges and and if those are trust because we trust people who we get to know and we're more remote Um, understanding because not only am I remote from you, um, you are living in a different part of the world with a different culture, with a different background. So there's a lot of challenges to understand and I can't meet you face to face to get to know you and connection, obviously Um, responsibility. How do you get people to take responsibility remotely? Because I can make a decision whether I take responsibility, but as a manager, I start to worry whether everyone in my team is making that decision. And that then leads to productivity. We heard a lot in the UK, I don't know what you've heard in the States, of companies saying actually people are more productive working remotely um, in, uh, for, for you know, white collar uh, workers. Um, but there's a challenge to making the space available. Not everyone has the luxury of a home which is conducive to productive working. Um, that, and then that is true. And, yeah. and sorry to cut you off because I, I remember last year I was speaking to some PMO leaders, and one of the things that they had mentioned was the same thing you just alluded to, which is studies are showing that people are actually working longer hours while working from home than they would in the office because you don't have to worry about commute times or yeah. people, you know, just random meetings, everything. You get up and you sit in front of your computer, 
and you, as soon as you turn it on, you're already working. And instead yeah. of eight hour shifts, people are working 10, 11 hours. There was actually, you know, companies that I've spoken to here in, in Florida that are trying to have people work less. They're trying to incorporate like team building exercises just to have people step away from the computer for a little bit. That's and- absolutely right. And that links to the, what I was going to say is the next one, which is challenge. And for, for me, this the, 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 the center of this is around the fact that it's hard enough to challenge the thinking of a coworker. Mm-hmm. Uh, appropriately when you have a strong relationship but when we're distant from one another and I worry that maybe I'll be accused of being culturally insensitive or maybe my words will be misinterpreted because you're not with me actually challenging people constructive proper challenge to thinking and ideas is difficult um, the pr- productivity thing I think is, is also around the fact that I mean, I'm fortunate I'm middle-aged I've got a decent sized home I've earned earned money and I've built up a decent sized home. But if you're a young first working on your first job and you're living in a flat share in the center of a city with three other professionals and you've got a box room and you've all got one table to share. It becomes a challenge. How how does that become productive? I mean, you know, that makes that makes the traditional office work cube feel like a luxurious amount of space. The other two I mentioned is developing people, which is clearly a vital thing if we're going to be successful in the future and coming to your point welfare and well-being how do i look after the welfare of staff who might actually not be making sensible choices about the hours they spend so it's it's there's a huge number of challenges but i'm very optimistic that we will solve them because we've solved I mean, i'm not saying we completely solved the problem of city living there yeah. are still challenges to that but We've, you know, humanity has solved so many problems. And I think this could be part of the solution. Some of the big problems that society is facing, um, because if we're not commuting, we're not polluting the environment with our vehicles. Uh, we're not using too, carbon. Too. Uh, we're not burning carbon to get there. So there are some real advantages as well as disadvantages. Right. So project management software vendors have been adding artificial intelligence features to their products in recent years to supplement the work being done by project managers so they can focus on more meaningful work. What impact do you believe this phenomenon will have on project management professionals? Should they be concerned about automation taking over their work in the long term? Yeah, concerned, yes, worried, no. Um, (laughs) You know, but for me, concern is about taking an interest and and looking at things you know this is a this is a big change and you know you and i are project managers and a lot of your audience are project managers our job is to create change so we should not be fearful of change in our world Uh, there's been so many changes in in the world of work over the centuries and again back to the point humanity we we're flexible creatures if we allow ourselves to engage with it so i think and and this is an area which i'm interested in but not by nowhere no means expert so i can't speak with authority about how those changes are going to impact us but i think that you know if we look back to the early modern era when machinery was being introduced into factories factories were being created and you know we were getting looms and and in certainly in the uk and britain and in france people were going and smashing the machinery because they were scared it would take jobs away and yet actually it created jobs yeah Uh, i think for us artificial intelligence intelligence systems will create 
the ability for us to do more interesting stuff, more complex stuff, because it will have the capacity to solve problems that we can't, to track data that we can't do as human beings, which will mean that if it can track that data and if we are smart enough to interrogate it properly, we can access better information, better quality um, understanding of the world and therefore do more interesting, more challenging things. And I did read somewhere that NASA has started giving email addresses to artificial intelligences on its projects. Uh, so they are part of the team. And, and I think that's great. Uh, you know, I, if I were 20 again, I'd be looking forward to, uh, to working in that kind of environment in the next 10 years. Funny you should mention that because um, I am familiar with RPA, Robotics Process Automation. Yeah. And one of the bots that I actually built myself was for email monitoring so that emails that are just, you know, something coming in that needs to be forwarded where I don't have to manually go in and type something. You can set up automated responses through that. And I believe that's more or less something similar to what NASA is working towards uh, yeah. through the, the use of RPA. Yeah. I mean, and, and who wouldn't want that? What project manager wouldn't want to not have to deal with transactional emails that do not add value to their project? Exactly. I have both talked about value um, and that's the, as being the job of a project manager. So if, if forwarding an email doesn't add value, or it doesn't add extra value if I do it rather than an, a robotic agent does it, then, then I should be pleased to have that. Exactly. Uh, that leads me to my next question about conflict management. So effective conflict management has always been a crucial element to ensuring project success for all projects. What recommendations can you share with us on the best ways for project managers to better manage conflicts within remote teams? Yeah, I, th I think this is a really good question. And when I, when I think about this, I think, oh, did I miss, you know, I put eight challenges of remote teams and I actually, <laughs> conflict. Now, the first thing I would say is that the, one of the problems of remote teams, as I say, is actually there isn't enough conflict because people dance around one another. But accepting the premise of your question, which I think we can do, human beings do get into arguments and then that creates conflict and that's not productive conflict. That's right the kind of stuff that destroys relationships, wastes time and possibly ends up with the wrong results. I think a lot of the reason why it might be different to conflict in the real world, because I think, I think that's the nub of your question, is because when I deal with someone remotely, they are to a slightly lesser degree in my mental representation, a bit less human. If, for example, I dealt with you only by email, then it would be inevitable that pretty soon one of us would type something that the other would misinterpret. Exactly. And I wouldn't be thinking, oh, Fred, he sent the wrong message. I'd be thinking, whoever sent that's an idiot. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and it wouldn't be, and, and it might just as well be a ro the robot you programmed that did it. Um, and so I think that, the first thing we have to do to better manage conflict is to make those remote teams as close to reality as we possibly can. So you and I are talking over Zoom. We've both got decent cameras. You know, I've got your image directly under my camera. So as close as possible, I can look you in the eye and be seen almost to be looking you in the eye. And that gets the closest we can, given the fact we're other sides of the Atlantic, to being together. And I think that kind of rehumanization that constant reminder that the 
person on the other end of the email is a human being and they they have interesting lives and they have their own personal style their own personality their own contribution that's the most important thing i think yeah and the other thing i think oh sorry no no i was just going to say people tend to underestimate the value of nonverbal communication and and you just said it you know having your camera turned on when you speak into your teammates it's important versus just communicating through email because inevitably something's going to be perceived as a slight is not going to be taken well and that may have not been the intention so being through zoom like this or even picking up the phone and just speaking over the phone i think those are things that can help avoid conflicts like the ones you just mentioned. And let's face it, email is the worst form of, hum- of communication <laughs> known to humanity because it's in that sweet spot of bad. If, if I write you a letter longhand, you will expect that I will have thought carefully about every word, and I will have. And if I send you a text message or a WhatsApp message, you will expect that I dashed it off quickly, and I did. But email, I think when we receive emails, we kind of assume people thought carefully about it. But when we send emails, we quite often just dash them off. And so there is that mismatch in expectations. And that's the problem. And I think the other thing that we need to do, aside from that rehumanization, is train ourselves to pause. When I hear you say something that I don't understand or I don't think is right or I want to say, no, 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 you're wrong. If I can train myself to pause before diving in and answering with a knee-jerk reaction, which I may regret 10 minutes later, then <laughs> we can actually head off quite a lot of conflicts. So, I, yeah, that rehumanization and that discipline to pause, I think, are my answers to your question. There are different project management certifications that project managers can obtain within the industry. What suggestions do you have for those that may be undecided on whether to become certified in project management? Yeah. Do you know, that's the commonest question I get from project managers uh, who have not yet been certified. Should I get certified? And if so, what certification should I get? And quite often they will have two ideas in mind and they'll throw those ideas at me but they won't give me anything like the right amount of context that even if I were minded to tell them which was the right answer, even if there were a right answer, I I, I couldn't give it. Um, So my tip for any project manager is getting certified is a big investment. It's a big investment in money, Mm -hmm. many certifications, not all. It's certainly a big investment in time. It's a commitment that you have to make. Now, as a project manager, when we're facing a possible commitment and we don't know whether we should make it or not, what do we do? We create a business case. So my answer to those project managers is go and create a business case. And if you're going to make a good business case, you have to do a number of things. First, you have to do some research, get some facts, get some data. And one of the the things you have to know is actually what future do you want or what do you want the next step in your future to be um so if for example you're working in the uk sorry in the us as you are and you want to work in big corporations in a particular industry sector that's your ambition to be a project manager and you look and you study those corporations you find they all have on their recruitment adverts must be a member of the pmi with capa minimum ideally pmp that's telling you something but if you're working in the uk 
you're certainly unlikely to want to go PMI route, but then you may go the APM route. If you want to work in the public sector, then you would probably want to get Prince 2. But if you didn't want to work in the public sector, Prince 2 might be a waste of your time and money. Correct, so you correct. have to do your research. You have to look at what the time involved is, the cost involved is, and how that could potentially impact on you achieving what you want to achieve. Um, but after all of that, you're still going to be faced with a decision. And, and the hardest decisions are usually ones where, you know, if I do this or I do that, I could see they could both work out and they could both go wrong. And then my answer is, you know what? It almost doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter. Young people sometimes ask me, well, you know, should I go to this university or that university? And I say, actually, it almost doesn't matter. If you're suited to going to university and you go, whichever one you go to, you will meet people and then you will wonder, how could I ever have got by without meeting this group of friends? Mm-hmm. And, and you, what really matters is how you embrace the opportunity and the choice that you make. You can never know what was on the road that you didn't choose. All you can do is control your approach to traveling the road that you did choose. And if you make your choice and then you determine you're going to give it your absolute best, you're going to put all of your energy into making that choice a success, that's how you give yourself the best chance. And sometimes there is no right answer or sometimes there are two or three or four different right answers. And it's how you make how you make use of the certification you get or how you build a career around not having a certification. So I, I believe you're a PMP. I'm not, I have no project management qualification and I've been training project managers for 20 years. Uh, It wasn't a deliberate choice not to get a project management qualification when I, when I actually didn't do my PMP exam many, many years ago, but, now seems to me that there are some advantages to that because I can be really agnostic about the different qualifications. Um, and I've just continued to learn anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of good reasons to, to get a certification like the learning, like the fellowship of being a member of the association for this or the Institute for that, but you've got to weigh that up in a rational sense. Yeah. So the, the answer that I tell people to that same question is it depends and you've yeah. went through the list of all the possibilities that may come into play when people are deciding whether to get certified or not. I've yeah. seen project managers that are not you know, certified uh, in PMP that are really good. I've seen those that are certified in PMP that struggle. So yeah. it really depends. And like you said, as long as you continue learning, there's nothing really wrong with that. Yeah. At the end of the day, having a qualification, all that tells the market is that you have that qualification. Yes. You've managed to pass whatever criteria they said, but it doesn't tell you anything about how you behave in the workplace, your capability. In, in a practical environment, um, correct. It, it's a useful proxy in many cases, but it's, it's only a proxy. Absolutely. So my last question, and this is a question yeah. that I like because you get different answers from, from different people within the industry. Um, what has helped you to get to where you are? And what word of advice would you give to someone that wants to pursue a career that's similar to yours? For, for, before you answer that, Mike, I just want to make a quick mention. If, if any of you out there that are listening to this, go to YouTube and just type any topic related to project management. Mike is one of the first people that come up on your search results. Congratulations to that, Mike. That's very yeah. impressive that you've been doing that. Free content to people that want to keep learning more about project management. I think that's something that I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. But anyway, right. um, back okay. to the question. 
So how did I get where I am today? <laughs> I, you know, I genuinely believe that nothing worthwhile comes easily. Um, yes, you can get lucky, but I also believe that you make your own luck. You know, you get opportunities, but it's how do you embrace those opportunities and what have you done in your life to, pre to prepare you to take those opportunities? So I think fundamentally it's down to hard work. Yeah, I think there, are, there is a generation of people who see some YouTubers, for example, and they've made millions, and I haven't. Uh, they've made millions doing something that looks very easy. But, you know, take Mr. Beast, for example, who's got millions of followers, almost certainly makes millions of dollars a, a year on his channel just by doing silly things with his friends. Uh -huh. but the reality is he works hard at it. It might be work that he enjoys, but he does it. He does it diligently. He shows up. And actually, the best advice I got on YouTube is if you want to make a YouTube channel a success, you've got to think of yourself as working for YouTube. You've got to show up to make the videos, get them out and do it well. So I think there is a really important place for any aspiring or mid-career or, or even late career project manager. But late career project managers will know this. It's about showing up and being diligent. Do the hard work. Do the hard work of learning the craft and do the hard work of showing up and putting in the time, lead your team in an exemplary way. Um, second, I'd pick on learning. You know, I have been learning all my life. You know, just this morning, uh, a parcel arrived with, I've been, you know, looking for it for a long time at a price that uh, is reasonable. You know, the PMI's guide to scheduling, scheduling, I should say. Um, and, and I'm going to have a look at that. I, I will never need to schedule another project again but i want to you know see what the experts say in the practice standard and that constant learning i think is important and the other thing is the ability to switch you know i started off on an academic track i was a physicist and i was offered a lectureship an academic position tenured academic position but i decided to turn it down and i went into consulting i went into mainstream uh consulting focusing on believe it or not corporate finance in the public sector i ended up consulting as a project manager consulting project manager and program manager and then i became a full-time trainer and then i became a speaker and a facilitator and then i became an author and i wrote 14 books and then i started turning my ideas and my training courses into online video training programs which are on sale uh onlinepmcourse.com and then i pivoted to my YouTube from being a part-time, very much a part-time thing to market the training courses to now YouTube is my primary, it's the single biggest time-consuming activity that I do. Um, so diligence, learning, and the agility to pivot in your career, to recognize that the path you're taking will have plenty of forks. And when the right when you're aware what the right fork is to take, being having the courage to try something different and to go a different way. Mike, this has been a very fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been my pleasure. I've loved it. Thank you very much for inviting me, Fred. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ivy Podcast. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.